Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with another WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, the Silver King is back once again and we are here today to talk all things WWE. Yes, we are still reeling from another round of shocking releases that came out uh, late last week. You can find a very special episode covering Keith Lee and all the other 17 superstars who were released on our podcast feed. Please be sure to go back and listen to that show. But because we went deep over an hour discussing all of those releases last week, we are going to focus, as we normally do on these Tuesday shows, on what went down over the last few days across SmackDown and Raw. Of course, vintage Chris Vanini is here with me to break it all down. We will get to him in a moment because it would not be the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast if we did not remind you that this show, each and every week, so please, folks, do not forget, go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, vintage Chris Vanini and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews. Tell people how much you love this show. Tell them why they should listen and subscribe, and we would greatly appreciate it if you went ahead and did that. And as promised, I did say, you know, I was trying to stall a little bit here. I did say I would read all new five-star reviews that come in for this podcast, and I guess that... um, extra benefit of doing so has convinced a number of you to leave those five-star ratings and reviews. So let me just go through a couple here. We have Dr. Don Pedro, who says, love this pod, great stuff. Stutter the DJ, my favorite wrestling podcast. Five-star frog splash, RVD style. He wrote flash, I think he meant splash. And of course, awesome show, Silver King. Big meaty men slapping meat with the title, Big Meaty by Slim Slimmington. So thank you guys for those five-star reviews. Also, though, do not forget, please, to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. That way you can interact with us, uh, send in tweets and DMs that we're going to read on the show. I do have a number of those today. I promised I would get back to it. We are getting back to it. So we're going to hear from you guys on today's show. Also, a great way to follow us uh, all week long. We tweet about professional wrestling, including during the four live shows. And we do pre- and post-show polls ahead of pay-per-views, of which we have one this coming Saturday night, AEW full gear. And depending how the day goes, look, it's a college football Saturday. Chris and I both very busy. I highly doubt we're going to be able to do a live pre-show on Twitter spaces like we normally do for the WWE pay-per-views on Sunday and really for every special event. But maybe the schedule opens up. Maybe you get us for 30 or even 15 minutes ahead of AEW full gear. I'm not exactly sure yet. We'll get to that when we get a little bit closer to that pay-per-view on Saturday. But again, five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this fine show. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Okay, that was a long intro, Chris. Um, Had a lot to do there. But look, another week of wrestling to discuss. Uh, This is kind of how I'm going to give the overview of SmackDown and Raw this week. SmackDown, huge step up from last week as far as I'm concerned. Raw, slight step back, but still way better than the shows we had been getting over the vast majority of this year. I'm wondering if you agree with that. Yeah. Both of them had a story throughout the show. 
and th- that progressed. And any time you have that, 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 that's all I need. I just need a reason to keep watching and paying attention and not feeling like I need to fast forward because I didn't catch SmackDown live. I, I watched it, I think, on Sunday. And so you just it, it's got to feel like there's something bigger going on than just these individual segments. And both of them had that. So I, I do think overall it was a it was a better weekend of two. There was more star power with Roman Reigns back after being absent last week. Um, so it was definitely a move back in the right direction. I mean, you got Biggie over on Raw right now. The guy's feuding with like five people simultaneously. It's pretty cool that they're ensuring he has like a storyline involving someone in the mid or low card that he can chew them up and get a big win while he simultaneously is dealing with two main event threats, but he also has Roman Reigns ahead for Survivor Series. Like, I just appreciated the way they kind of have been treating, in particular, Roman Reigns and Big E, where they're saying, hey, look, these are our guys. Like, we're really putting a lot on their shoulders right now. And they did it with Drew McIntyre, don't forget, when he won the title uh, coming out of WrestleMania, you know, a couple years ago. And now they're doing it with Big E. And it's just really refreshing to see them get behind him in that way and it really has played out over the last two weeks on Raw. Yes. And, you know, we hadn't seen that from Big E yet, really. Like, was he a right. guy who could handle the show? A guy who would be the focal point in multiple storylines throughout the show like Roman Reigns has been for so long? And he was. He, he's, you know, we, we, we kind of don't talk about, hey, Big E, like, he's too goofy. How about him being serious more? We haven't talked about that in a while. He's killing it. Yeah, that's what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, like, like, with, with just it just happened, and he's doing a great job with it. Yeah, he's absolutely crushing it. You're right. There was that whole talk when he was over on SmackDown when he started being a singles competitor when he won that IC title. Of oh, he's still too goofy. You know, this guy can't be WWE champion. He turns it on and off, and the way he went through Raw, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but the way he went through Raw on Monday night should have proved any doubter of his wrong. Not that they shouldn't have already been proved wrong. Like when he won Money in the Bank and then won the title, right? And then even what he's done since then, the whole feud with Lashley and even the bloodline feud uh, with New Day uh, that we had on Raw for like two weeks. But you're seeing a guy literally coming into his own as a main eventer, as a pillar of WWE. And my hope is that his career trajectory is now altered forever. Like they gave him this chance. He is crushing it. And I hope that they see that and it's not a situation like uh, a Kofi Kingston or for a way lesser extent, trust me, a Jinder Mahal where they get one run and they're like, ah, well, you know, we gave it to them and now we're not going to do that again. Big E, as far as I'm concerned, is proving every single week I deserve to be in the main event scene going forward for the rest of my career. Yeah, and and I, I don't think it was going to be a, a Kofi type thing because he's not... He's not an underdog, you know, he's right. You just, you look at him. He's, he's, a, he's a guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's a guy that um, doesn't need to necessarily scrap. He, he's a guy who just kind of is where he is. And it, it's the kind of spot that Vince likes, you know, and, and, and you know, we'll see what happens with um, Rollins in that match and, and when that happens. But um, no, th- this is kind of like the early stages of Drew, even though he did that in the performance center. You could see he rose to the occasion as champion and that he fit that mold. Right. And that's exactly what we're getting with Big E now. And Drew got the ability to do that also, starting with that Royal Rumble. So he had a couple months. Right. Was, I'm talking was, about one, one, once he got the title. Yes, absolutely. He, yeah. 
that they revolved entire shows around Drew McIntyre, which is what WWE likes to do around its champions, but they were successfully able to do it. And they're successfully doing it right now with Biggie. Also, look, look, let's not forget. I mean, the guy's a big meaty man. At some point, you know, that that takes the cake. You realize, all right, there's a lot of meat on these bones. We got to go with it. And that's what they've done with Biggie. So, okay, good intro. Nice, uh, you know, fawning over Biggie, which we're bound to do here. Uh, you just get, you know, mention his name. We're going to go on talking about Biggie for five minutes. Uh, let's talk about him some more as we slide into the first segment of today's show, the main event. Honestly, I was ready to start with Roman Reigns, but since we're talking about Big E, let's just start with Big E and Raw. So we got this dude. He's sitting on a road case, moisturizing his entire chest uh, <laughs> to open the show with Kevin Owens sitting next to him, trying to explain that Big E has them all wrong and he should actually trust him. Big E said he didn't care, walked away. Seth Rollins then came out with his contract and created questions about trusting KO, saying KO is as low as it gets. So Owens attacked Rollins. Uh, and of course, Rollins ran away. Later, KO asked Rey Mysterio if he believes that Owens is a good guy. Rey basically said yes, but he had to get to the ring for a match. Rollins approached Alpha Academy with Chad Gable confirming KO is a liar on par with Aaron Rodgers. I loved that drop. <laughs> and Biggie is not the face of Raw. There was also a comedy spot with KO and our truth and a Biggie confrontation with Rollins. Austin Theory also tried to take a selfie with Biggie later. And Biggie slapped the cell phone out of his hand. Uh, so look, we always like when WWE weaves a story through a show, which is what we talked about in the intro. And what I appreciate is when WWE makes interactions matter week to week. They mm -hmm. did a really good job here with Biggie, KO, Rollins, and Gable. Don't forget, Gable had the interaction with Biggie last week. Every segment on its own Monday night worked individually and created anticipation for the two matches we got. Plus, we also got a very simple setup for a Big E versus Austin Theory match that I presume is going to come next week on Raw. So they've done a good job, like I said earlier, giving him some interim matches so he can pile up some wins as champion while simultaneously feuding with two of the top stars on Raw and knowing he has this match with Roman Reigns coming up. And I just really love the way that Big E was booked, or has been booked, I should say, over the last two weeks. Yeah, we, we always say, show us, don't tell us. That right. was my problem when Bianca became champ, is that she, we weren't getting to watch her do her awesome stuff. So what, what have we gotten from Big E? We, get, we got the Lashley stuff. Now we're getting, uh, we got a Chad Gable match. We might get an Austin Theory match. We might get an Otis match. Um, th this is what we want to see. We want to see Big E talk. We want to see him do cool stuff. And that's how you make a guy look more credible. So that was a great way to set up with Big E. Um, I loved R-Truth saying he saw the leprechaun in the hood. <laughs> a nice little throwback to a, a meme from the old days. Yep. Um, so there was just a lot. Again, there was a lot going on. And it felt like you had to pay attention because things were kind of progressing throughout the show. Yes. And it was entertaining on top of it. So on top of them mm -hmm. giving us the effort, it was also entertaining television to watch. So about that match, Big E versus Chad Gable in a non-title match. E hit a big apron splash, but Gable came back with a dragon screw and he worked the knee. Gable reversed a belly-to-belly -belly suplex and hit a moonsault for a two count. Gable then rolled E into a German suplex for a near fall. E caught him with a uranagi in the corner and won with the big ending in about five minutes or so. So look, I know WWE is not going to let this match go 15 minutes, right? 
But with E as the WWE champion, it should at least go twice as long. This guy should be allowed to wrestle a 10-minute match, especially when he's fighting someone like Chad Gable, who you know can go. He's not a risk in the ring either physically or in terms of quality of match. You're going to, your champion at the end of that is going to look exceptionally strong, whether it's five minutes or whether it's 10 minutes. It's just so frustrating. And we're going to talk about it later in the good, the bad, and the ugly. For WWE this week, they gave us a couple really exciting matches that were Mm -hmm. entertaining to watch, but they went four and five minutes for the men. And it's just like, all we want is these exact same matches that you're giving us twice as long. That's all I want. I want to see Big E and Chad Gable. Yes, you checked box number one. Box number two is I want to see him go 10 to 15 minutes. They won't let me check box number two. They refuse to let me check box number two. I went 3.25 stars in a B. I could have probably gone 4.5 stars if you gave these guys 20 minutes, but they got five. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, first off, just not not only... First off, they're just matches we want to see. They're fresh. They're fresh, yes. Big E versus Gable. That's awesome. McIntyre versus Ricochet. We'll get into you later. That's cool. We just, we haven't seen that before, and that's fun. And as for the length of the match, like, I get torn because on one hand, we're saying, you know, you look better as the victor if your opponent looks good and you, you know, you pull out a win. Right. At the same time, Big E is the champion, and Chad Gable has never done anything of note in years in WWE and he theoretically should be able to dispose of him. But that's where you miss an opportunity to make Gable look even better. And this is an example. This is, this is a spot where AEW can say it's about wrestling because we got Adam Cole versus John Silver on a rampage. I was just about to mention that you took it right out of my mouth. Go ahead. John Silver has done nothing of note on AEW wrestling to make you think he could go up with Adam Cole, but you know what they did? They let him go along. I don't remember exactly how long the match was, but Everybody looked great in that. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I want to see more John Silver. I want to see more Adam Cole. And like, you know, there there is a benefit to going longer on like that, even if people don't have much faith in Chad Gable, if you're a casual viewer. So that's where you kind of see a difference where I, lo- I, I loved seeing Big E and Gable. I liked what they did. But yeah, I'm with you. Like, I'd like to see more of it because we know that they can do really cool stuff. <laughs> you, you literally took that comparison out of my notepad because I was going to mention it for the Drew McIntyre ricochet match, which spoiler alert is what I was talking about earlier. And yeah. we will get to that later. But it's the same idea. Yes, it's th- when you have a match like Big E versus Chad Gable, there should be two goals a- at the end of the match. One for Big E, the WWE champion, to look super strong. Two for the other guy to be elevated by the champion. And it doesn't have to be 18 near falls or false finishes. You don't have to give us a booking like that. But what you need to show is that over an extended period of time that they can put on an entertaining match, which obviously they can, and give you a finish where at least for a moment, you have some doubt that maybe Chad Gable is going to pull this off. But he ultimately doesn't. And Biggie comes over on top because he's the champion. He's the big star. He's the guy that you're pushing hardest. But when you accomplish that, suddenly you look at Chad Gable and you say, man, this guy almost beat Big E, or he at least gave him a great match. I want to see Chad Gable go after the United States Championship. I want to see Chad Gable against Damian Pierce, uh, Priest, I'm sorry. I want to see Chad Gable win the United States Championship. Now we want that anyway, because we like Chad Gable, but to the average fan, 
who maybe doesn't care one way or another about him. This is a guy that has all of that potential. And as we've seen, maybe even unlike Ricochet, I think Ricochet gets too much crap for his mic skills. Chad Gable can cut a promo. He is capable. So again, they didn't do anything wrong. This wasn't bad. If this was the good, the bad, and the ugly, I'm giving it a good. But it just could be great. It could be better. And WWE just, it, 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 it hurts me internally to know that, oh my God, they really booked something I wanted to see, but they just didn't give us what we want. They didn't give us the Batista, that little extra. They just refused <laughs> to go there. The, the, in, like, in fairness, like this wasn't a squash, which is what we often get in the women's division, and that helps nobody. Chad Gable got offense in. He got two counts in. So he, was, he wasn't hurt by this. I do think he was helped by this. I just don't sure. think he was helped as much as he could have been. And I think in the end, and, and some of the AEW always does well, is that they make you feel like everybody on your screen matters. And, and you should make sure you should pay attention to them. They told us Chad Gable is something. They didn't tell us, they didn't show us he's someone you really got to pay attention to. And that's where just, it was good, but it could have been great. Exactly. And so we have Ben at Matt Rat 103 he said, look, I'll take Gable in a match like that against Big E over him almost getting pinned by Reggie. Even exactly. though it's two losses in a row, this might be Gable's best booking since King of the Ring. Maybe. I mean, he was doing some really good stuff with Otis in terms of the tag team. They were beating up a lot of people mm-hmm. over on SmackDown. But I do think, yes, Gable has gotten promos two weeks in a row. He got an opportunity to wrestle the WWE champion this week and did look good in the match. I'm not saying it's bad booking for Gable. It's just... We want this guy to be something. We know he has that ability. And to get a taste of it, but not a full appetizer, it it hurts, right? Like it was an amuse-bouche as opposed to an appetizer. I want the app. I want the mozzarella sticks. I don't want like a single dumpling and a little spoon. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I don't know how I came up with that. Anyway, let's keep going with the the raw main event scene. Uh, We had Kevin Owens against Seth Rollins. That was the main event of the show. Biggie was at ringside. Rollins told D on the mic before the match that last week's deal with KO was planned, uh, basically saying KO purposely was going to turn on him and do all that type of shit. Uh, Owens came out pissed with Rollins clearly lying. Owens cannonballed into the barricade, but Rollins got his knees up to block one off the ring apron. Later, KO hit a huge frog splash for a near fall. They traded a bunch of kicks. Then he hit a huge avalanche muscle buster style move, I guess. And Rollins came back with a pedigree, both of them for near falls. KO ate a buckle bomb, but bounced right back with a pop-up power bomb for a near fall. KO then caught Rollins running, put him through a chair that Biggie was sitting in, the desk chair. KO then was trying to get back into the ring. He ran into Biggie and was counted out. The problem here is that we never heard the referee counting. So we You're didn't right. hear seven, eight, and then he runs into him and doesn't get into the ring. So KO is upset. He's standing on the ring apron. Biggie's standing at ringside. Kind of looking around like, ah, shit, I didn't, you know, I didn't do that on purpose, obviously. Uh, KO snaps, attacks Biggie outside, hitting a pop-up powerbomb into the ring apron. He then went back for seconds, uh, th- I think threw him into the steel steps, stomped on him a bunch of times, and then stormed off, screaming like he used to when he was a heel in WWE. Um, just the guy and, and an NXT where he just loses his mind and he can't control himself. So there's a lot to go through here. The match, let's start with that. 4.25 stars and an A. Obviously, it would have been better with a real finish. KO eventually snapping like he did out of frustration after realizing that no one in the locker room believes he's actually turned over a new leaf 
and that Biggie in particular doesn't trust him and also cost him the match, it made sense. Don't get me wrong. It was a good moment. My problem, as usual, with WWE is not the ideation, but the execution. First, the countout finish was pitiful. Okay. Have him run into Biggie, get distracted, come into the ring, hit a stomp, eat a stomp, get pinned one, two, three. It's a better finish. It happens in the middle of the ring, not outside the ring. And it's the exact same impact. In fact, it's even a greater impact because Owens is getting pinned. So he has a, and and taking a finisher. So he has a real reason to be angry. I'm going to, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no, because I think the whole story they told throughout the episode was that Owens mind isn't right. He's distracted. And in the end, he lost the match because he kind of, kind of got just, I think you could make it more clear as opposed to just, he ran into Biggie. Like he's, he runs into Biggie. Maybe he's trying to, uh, he's really trying to profusely apologize and, and, and stuff like that to really make it clear that his mind wasn't right. And that's why he lost. So I, 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 I think I see what they were going. You either have to make the countout crystal clear or yes. you need to give a real finish. And I still wouldn't have liked it if the countout was crystal clear, but to each their own, you know, it's f- fair that we disagree. But then the attack occurs completely outside the ring, which is very difficult for the fans in attendance to see. And let me pause briefly and we'll, we can get back to it later. The Louisville, Kentucky crowd was horrible. It was a Lafayette, Louisiana crowd. It was one of the worst W. It was, you know what? It was the worst WWE crowd that we've had since July when crowds came back. Absolutely horrible. They didn't pop for anything the entire night. Anyway, let me get back to this. In addition to me not liking the finish of the match, the other problem I have in terms of ideation versus execution is WWE rushed the entire heel turn. Okay. Survivor Series is coming up. Why not let this play out until the Raw after Survivor Series? Why not have KO get increasingly more frustrated week after week that people don't trust him and believe him? Have him talk to some of the women in the locker room. Have him talk to the authority figures, other faces. There's a lot more that he didn't come across this week. Riddle, Orton, other people, right? The rushed nature of the heel turn was a stain. Now, it was still overall entertaining, and it's a strong storyline. I like the direction they're going where Biggie now has two different feuds, one from a face-turning heel, one from a guy who's a heel and maybe manipulating KO into the situation. All of that works. But playing this out over three weeks when you have a brand versus brand pay-per-view that is not going to require a WWE championship match, that's the move. Longer-term storytelling, not two-week-term storytelling. That's my frustration. Other than that, I really did like the I like the general booking. The match was a lot of fun. I just wish they invested a little bit more into the story and, and dragged it out a little bit longer versus turning a guy who had been face, I think for two years, heel in two weeks. Yeah, I, I don't want to get I don't want to lean too much into negativity because the, the reason we want it to drag out longer is because it was really, really good. I, I mean, the, the story that they told over the last two weeks was indeed really, really good. Kevin Owens is trying to be a good guy, and he's been trying for a while now, but still nobody trusts him because he's typically been a bad guy. And he so he, you know, it happens last week. The bad guy part of him gets the better of him when he doesn't want to take the pin, but then he does. And I we, we said this last week, but the look on his face when he got pinned by Big E last week was so good. Like he knew he effed up. 
and he was about to get scolded for it and he knew he was in the wrong but he didn't want to admit it he he came up with excuses he said he didn't know Rollins was was doing that he tried to talk his way out of it and Big E didn't trust him because he doesn't have a reason to trust him so we get to this week and Kevin Owens is still looking for anybody to give him that gratification that he's not a bad guy he's going around asking everybody am I a good guy and they're like eh, I don't know and so he doubts himself but not see but here's the thing let me me interrupt you briefly yeah that really wasn't the response he got like Rey Mysterio didn't answer because he was focused on his match and his stuff with Dom right but I know what's happening our truth was comedy all right yeah so really the only real person that I can remember that actually said like I don't care like get out of my face was Big E so no, they're, they're, I'm pretty sure there were a couple of those. I don't remember exactly. I didn't write. I don't think that. so. I think I those were the situations. Maybe not. But 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 he was either way. He's 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 going around looking for someone to tell him he's a good guy, and he's not getting it. He's not he's not getting that. And so he goes into this main event match with all the doubt. He's trying to right the wrong of last week, and the Biggie situation happens, and he loses the match, and he can't get that gratification of a victory that he's not getting by people telling him he's a good guy and he snaps and he goes crazy. And he, and basically you think I'm a bad guy. Fine. I'm, I'm going to be a bad guy. This was such good psychology and storytelling over this week, over, over the two weeks of, of Kevin Owens trying to just trying to, you know, like everybody's messed up and you want people to have your back and be like, Hey, it's okay. I understand. I forgive you. They want forgiveness, and he doesn't get it, and he snaps. I thought this was a beautifully told story over two weeks. I Yes, I would have loved it to go longer because Kevin Owens is so good at this stuff, and I'd like to see more of it as opposed to immediately turning him heel. But I really got to give especially Kevin Owens credit for doing a tremendous job over the last two weeks, and that is why he remains one of the best pro wrestlers in the world, not just because of his wrestling ability, but because everybody can relate to the way he carries himself. I I just, I thought it was tremendously well done. Yeah. I don't want to get it twisted. I am not saying that I have not enjoyed and, or do not like, or do not think it's good work by the three men in the storyline. My only real problem with it is that it's rushed as WWE does so frequently. But my problem normally is that WWE rushes storylines because they have a pay-per-view that month. So they know in two weeks they have yes. a pay-per-view, so they got to get the storyline done so that they can have the match on the pay-per-view. That is not the case here. There is not another pay-per-view that's going to feature Raw versus Raw talent on it until January 1st. It's November what? 9th. We have two months until that next pay-per-view. So, and look, I'm sure this match or versions of the match are going to happen on Raw and main events to bring in ratings against Monday Night Football. I get it. That's totally fine. But you, do, this is literally a situation where you have a Survivor Series pay-per-view coming up in about two weeks, two and a half weeks, and you don't have to rush. Yes. But they did anyway. That's my problem. And I, I think that's a fair, a fair note. Look, maybe I, agree. Maybe no, I should have I praised agree. it a little bit more before giving my criticism. No, but, yeah, that, that, you're, you're, you're not wrong. I, 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 just, I just wanted to make it crystal clear that Kevin Owens did a really, like, really, really, really good job. Like, one of the best, just, like, short character psychology moments we've seen in wrestling outside of Roman Reigns stuff, you know, in WWE for a Yes, while. he did. He did, and Rollins has been great as an instigator throughout the entire time, and Big E has been great as, 
look, I'm a face, but at the same time, I got to protect myself. I know that I have Rollins on my back. I know that you may be coming for me. I don't know if I can fully trust you. I also liked, by the way, that KO referenced in the open of the show. Hey, look, you have reasons not to trust me. The stuff with mm-hmm. New Day that I did last mm-hmm. year, right? Like him being big O. So yep. he did call back to some of those things. I appreciated the storytelling in that aspect. It was just jammed into two weeks, something that yeah. should have at least taken a month. I mean, sure. in AEW, again, I, I don't like comparing WWE to AEW because it's a different product, but it's a turn like that. They might do over two months or even three, right? Like you saw Adam Hangman Page slowly descend into alcoholism and not trusting yep. his friends and all that. I'm not expecting WWE to give me a long-term character change over three to four months. But three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, I think you can do that. I th- that, yeah. that, is, that is feasible. You, you can accomplish you, that. Have you ever seen the movie Wreck-It Ralph? I'm going to be bringing up. Yes, Chris, I have. Yes. Because I you, you know the, movies. You know the scene <laughs> where he goes to the bad guy, you know, meeting and they're basically saying i'm a bad guy i'm a bad guy but that doesn't mean i'm a bad guy right like that's exactly what i pictured with kevin owens just like trying to have people tell him he's not a bad guy and he didn't get it he and stops him maybe maybe one week he stops himself from attacking yeah, biggie he yeah. wants to but he doesn't the, yeah you know? he 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 drew empathy and that you wanted him you know you want him to People, t- you want him to be a good guy. He's trying. Right. And then when he snapped and that's when you give up, that's when you get mad at him. No, man, you you were trying and now you've given up. Like that's that's what makes you want to boom as a heel. For a guy who has been such a big baby face for so long, yeah. it should have taken longer to turn heel. Sure. It should take longer than two weeks to turn heel. That's that's really what I'm getting at. Uh, I also have a, a mention here from John Dumphy at John Dumphy 68. Should I even invest myself in any storyline with KO? as it feels like we have another Dean Ambrose scenario where all signs are pointing to him leaving the company, all the releases make it difficult to trust that anything WWE does is going to be safer long-term. So I think it's a fair question, but you're conflating two different things there, John. You're conflating people like Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, leaving on their own accord, which would be the case of Kevin Owens, and people getting released. You know, really, out of all the releases that WWE's done, I'm I'm trying to rack my brain. I think only two of them occurred in the midst of a storyline. One was Alistair Black, and that was, you know, four vignettes. And then one week he shows up on TV. That one was just so freaking odd. It was crazy. And then The Fiend, who was off TV and they were ready to bring him back, theoretically was still in the storyline with Alexa Bliss, but wasn't really. It, it had kind of reached a terrible endpoint at WrestleMania, but it did reach what you could consider at least to be an endpoint. So... I think you're conflating two different things, but I do agree with your general sentiment, which is that I'm watching KO and the whole time I'm thinking like, well, are they turning him heel because he's on his way out and they are just going to use him up, have a big baby face, you know, beat him, take him out uh, once that contract's about to be up and then he goes over to AEW or are they investing in him now as a heel and and changing his character because maybe he's indicated he's going to sign. The truth is, we only know this because we are in the dirt sheets and we're smarks and all that type of stuff. The average fan doesn't think like that. So I don't think it's fair that we let Owen's contract situation affect what we think about his current storyline now. It shouldn't affect our enjoyment of it today, but I do think it is fair. I do have it in the back of my head the same way where I'm like, okay, he's a heel now, but is he only going to be a heel for three more months and then he leaves the company or is he going to stay? And I got to say, there's a lot of people, I know fans want 
there, there's some subsets of fans. If you read uh, Reddit um, or Twitter, they think every wrestler should leave WWE and go to AEW. Every single person would be better off. They're booked better, even though we already know that's not the case based on some people that have gone over there. But I got to tell you, there's certain people. And look, I do agree. Andrade is better off over there. I do think Malachi Black. I, I getting, don't know about that. But well, okay. <laughs> he, has a, he has a chance over there where it seemed like in WWE, sure. he was never going to get one. Malachi Black, you can say, man, like, I wanted him in WWE so bad. He was, I thought he had so much opportunity. But he has done a lot more over there that, of significance than he already has on the main roster in WWE than he did. But Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, I got to tell you guys, I do not want them to go to AEW. I think both are fantastic, quote unquote, WWE superstars. Owens, is a he was just built into a main eventer again by Roman Reigns. He's showing that he has that ability again on Raw. He's doing great character work. Sami Zayn is doing the best work of his entire career. They, some reason, will not put him into that main event status or have him be an upper mid-carder where he's constantly in the mid-card title picture. But his work is incredible. He's entertaining. They're wrestling. They're both allowed to wrestle in generally their styles. These are two guys, I gotta say, like, I don't want them to leave. I really think they belong in WWE, not just now, but long-term. And it does bother me that I'm kind of watching Kevin Owens and saying, I don't know if he's going to be there that much longer. I, I I I agree with the overall sentiment that it's hard to watch Kevin Owens and not think about, hey, is he about to leave? Because, you know, we didn't used to know everybody's contract status on stuff. Like, right. they literally made it a storyline for CM Punk, you know, to do something with it. And but now that we know everybody's got contracts coming up and haven't resigned or whatever, it's, it's hard to keep the real life stuff out of you know, out of the kayfabe story because we consume all of it. This is why I don't read the dirt sheets and I try to stay out of the way because I try to just focus on what's being presented to us. But Kevin Owens made the comment. He said three months or, or three years or whatever last week. And um, yeah, I, I, I think about it too. I, I, I don't know. I, it doesn't make me think, oh, I'm not going to pay attention to him. But I, it does always sit in the back of my mind when I see him, especially the lap, before this biggie bit when he was doing the, the Corbin stuff and he just seemed absolutely deflated and not interested. And, and you kind of wondered if that was the end. Now he's got some juice again. I don't know what this means for the next three months. I don't know if they're going to bring it into a storyline or not. Probably not, but yeah, I, I can understand watching him and not th- and thinking, Hey, he, he might leave anyway. So he's probably going to not be in this much longer. Yeah. Like, like with Dean Ambrose and even Adam Cole in NXT, they didn't really give them, fresh juice on their way out. Uh, Dean Ambrose, they featured him a little bit. They did the shield send off and stuff like that, but the, he, he wasn't in a main event storyline. The person who was, was Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan ended fighting at WrestleMania and then coming in over to uh, SmackDown and having his blow off match be a career match with Roman Reigns. And that was his final match in WWE. So in those respects, Maybe there's something similar that a similar line that you can draw, but yeah, it's it's definitely in the back of my head. There's no question about it, and it's something that I hope um, I hope they stay. Do you do you have a preference with these two, Owens and Zayn, stay versus leave? Um, I, I I'd like him to stay, especially Kevin Owens, because he's a guy who can always be in that main event picture, and he is legitimately 
one of the most over people on that roster. Um, but, you know, you, you think about Adam Cole and him being with the elite and him being on BTE all the time. And it he feels like he fits over there. Um, I don't know. If, I just with AEW, anytime there's releases, I just don't know if there's enough room. It's so know, their if, roster is so big. It's so big. And they and they only have three hours of TV during the week. And it's just so no, I, I, I'd like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn to stay but I want them to stay in featured roles like Kevin Owens is right now. Sami Zayn's kind of been floating around for a while. I don't know, but they, they are two incredibly talented guys, versatile guys who can play face, who can play heel and be the best one of those. Um, so I, I'd like them to stay and, 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 and stick with that, but you know, let them shine like they're letting Kevin Owens shine right now. Exactly. Totally agree. Okay. Let's move on to the second half of the main event. SmackDown, Roman Reigns, it's almost always in this spot. So Reigns opened the show saying he enjoyed his vacation while Brock Lesnar was getting fined. He made Paul Heyman remind the Usos they lost to New Day the week prior. Uh, Reigns said the bloodline was better and called out Jimmy for losing. Jimmy ranted that he'd make New Day acknowledge them. Then we had a New Day come out. King Woods said he sits at the head of the table as the king. And then both of them made fun of all of Reigns' catchphrases like Island of Relevancy and stuff like that. Woods issued a challenge. If Jimmy beats him, he'll acknowledge Reigns. But if Woods beats Jimmy, then Jimmy has to bend the knee to King Woods. Reigns accepted the match on behalf of Jimmy. So Reigns then later ranted backstage that he took one vacation and suddenly SmackDown sucked and it's almost as bad as Raw. The Usos laughed. Reigns then got in Jimmy's face saying, you think I'm here to pop you? And maybe Reigns (laughs) didn't want to make them pop, but I'll tell you who he did make pop, me, because I thought that was hysterical. Uh, It it was a really strong start to the show, I thought. The crowd truly loves New Day. And by the way, the crowd, I don't know where they were. The SmackDown crowd was great. Raw crowd was You know where they were. SmackDown, uh, I'm saying this because I wrote it down. SmackDown crowd, Evansville, Indiana. Yep. And they didn't say it. They said they're at the Ford Center. And I was curious because Xavier Woods said in his opening, he said, we're here in Evansville. And that got the crowd popped. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize they didn't say where they are. Because sometimes WWE doesn't like saying where they are, whether like it's Raleigh, North Carolina or something like that. Yeah, so, WWE's favorite thing is the Mohegan Sun. Like wherever yes. wherever they can find a Mohegan Sun, <laughs> they call that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I thought it was notable that Xavier said on the on TV where they are, considering WWE wouldn't say that. Yeah, but the crowd was great. And it's you're right, it did start with that, but it was throughout the entire show. Um, look, the crowd loves New Day and the royalty gimmick. They chanted for them like five or six different times. It was a really good back and forth that I also thought rekindled Reigns' dominance over his cousins, which is not something we've seen recently because he's been so bothered with Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar mm-hmm. and all that. They kind of brought us back to the basis of the character, the basis of the bloodline. Um, so that was solid. It also gave Woods needed mic time that he deserves now as king. There were also hysterical graphics that they made for the match that were one of those really nice touches that WWE throws in every once in a while. Like you remember they did the Sami Zayn Baron Corbin match and they did that whole promo package of the match. No one wants to see there will be a winner, but we're all losers. Like that type of stuff is really freaking funny. And they did it here on the graphics. So ahead of the match, Chris, I just loved the entire presentation, the storytelling, the, the promos, it all worked for me. Even in the New Day promo, they kept saying the Usos and, and yes. they said J- yes. James or Jim or Jimmy. Like, it was just like it was funny stuff. And 
you know, I, I, I we got Roman Reigns talking about being naked, which popped the crowd a little bit <laughs> as well. And you had Paul Heyman freaking out, trying to get back on the good side of Roman Reigns by talking to Norman's promo, then yelling at Jay to put the microphone in Roman's hand. You know, he's still going through his own thing as well. So there's just a lot of different things all happening here. And it was it was a great it was a great setup. I think this took like 20 minutes, um, which which I know sometimes Roman stuff goes too long. Well, but, Roman, um, six minutes to say a word as usual. Right. I know that's that's part of it. But but um, setup for everything was great. And again, it was a re- it, they, they kept telling you throughout the show, hey, someone might have to bend the knee here and it'll be really embarrassing. They made it seem like a big deal. Right. That someone would bend the knee. So like, hey, remember, this is coming up. This is a big deal. And it, it kept it kept me uh, interested in watching it. So we did have King Woods and Jimmy Uso in the main event. Rain stayed backstage saying he fixes enough of Jimmy's problems. Woods got brand new entrance music that, by the way, straight up slapped. Like we've been yeah. really hard on WWE with new entrance music recently. But his, um, the mashup of RK Bro, Damian Priest's new music I've come around on. And even Carmella's is pretty decent as well. There's a nice little string here of solid entrances, but Woods is the best of all of them. It, yeah, I, I noticed that that was great. Also, it's not a new one, but I love uh, the Alpha Academy theme. Yeah. We got it when Chad Gable got his entrance. It's I good. really like that one too. So yeah. the, the, the music's turning back in the right direction. Yeah, but Woods music, it had like a royal feel with like trumpets, but without yeah. all the corny royal stuff like you had exactly. with King Corbin or you had with you know pr- prior kings in WWE. Woods hit a great drop kick through the ropes and a flying leg drop for a near fall. Jay distracted him back on the top rope, allowing Jimmy to hit a great avalanche Samoan drop for a near fall. Woods blocked the Uso splash with feet to the face. Jimmy used a thumb to the eye to roll up Woods, but Jay got caught with the push from behind the two feet thing that he had done for a long period of time. Woods then rolled up Jimmy as the crowd went wild. Everyone was standing and chanting, bend the knee after the match. So the referee stopped Jimmy from leaving the ring. He got three quarters of the way down on the knee when Rain snuck in from the side of the ring, hit a Superman punch to Woods, attacked Kofi Kingston. Woods got some shots, but ate a double super kick before Rain speared Kofi. The Uso stomped on the back of Kofi's knee and hit an Uso splash onto the knee as Reigns forced Woods to watch. And then Reigns talked trash afterward, daring Woods to show up next week and seeing what a real king is like. This whole thing ruled. Uh, the yep. match was solid. 3.25 stars and a B. You're going to hear that three times on today's show because that was the same grade I basically gave everything, mostly because they were short or just not spectacular. The post-match was incredible. We talked a lot last week about WWE not building towards Survivor Series until the final two weeks before the show. But you have to believe Bloodline and New Day is part of the build to that. I assumed Biggie would mention it on Monday and then show up at SmackDown on Friday. He didn't. That was a surprise to me. But besides that, this did a really, really good job building to it, uh, that match. It's getting Woods super over as a babyface and maybe even pushing him into that upper mid-card, possibly main event scene. It's getting renewed heat on Reigns. And it just did a really good overall job setting up the storyline. And like I said, a huge bounce back week from SmackDown coming out of last week. Yeah, absolutely. The match was match was good. You get to the knee bending, and I thought Jimmy was gonna low blow him, like like he was kind of set up where he could move forward, 
low blow. I didn't see the, the Roman thing. I didn't see coming. He he pops out the side totally out of nowhere. And, that, yeah. and he it, he basically punched Woods in the crown. The crown goes flying, which is <laughs> a cool visual. Basically, that he's just knocking the crown off of his head. Um, the, the the beat down was good. Good way to send it off. It's another. It's a nice little just like another little twist on the New Day Usos, you know, bloodline New Day feud of, you know, someone thinks they're the king and, and someone isn't, you know, that's the whole Roman gimmick was is that he's in charge. And now you've got Xavier Woods saying, no, nah, I'm in charge now. Like Roman would be upset about that. So it, it's it, it's a great setup. I'm excited to see what happens next week. Xavier Woods is a guy who you can put in a main event singles match now. And they've done it. He did it against Lashley. Yeah, exactly. Beat so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it, it it works. Like it's a great example of how you can. It, it they're doing now with the new day a great example of how you can make single stars out of a tag team. Yes, and you, you they don't always have to be in a tag team match. You don't have to have the other guy always interfere and make it. You can just straight up have a good singles match with a singles storyline around it, even if they're both in tag teams or teams. And it it was great, awesome stuff. Absolutely nailed it. Now, the only negative I have here is WWE has booked Reigns versus Woods for this Friday on SmackDown. What I would have liked to have seen play out, and it's very similar to my comments about the Big E, Kevin Owens, and Seth Rollins deal, is I'd have liked to see this play out after Survivor Series with Reigns' next feud being Woods. So basically what I would have liked to happen is they try to go after Kofi's knee but don't really succeed. Like Kofi's okay, he's good enough to go. You have Reigns versus Kofi this upcoming Friday on SmackDown. They destroy Kofi. Next week on the Go Home, the following week, I should say, I'm sorry, on the Go Home SmackDown, Big E comes to SmackDown, you know, stops Reigns from dominating Kofi and Woods again. Really, really builds anticipation for their singles match on the pay-per-view. Now you have Big E and Roman Reigns at the pay-per-view, and you have you save. Reigns and King Woods for a subsequent SmackDown main event or the main event of the day one pay-per-view, which by the way is in Xavier Woods' hometown of Atlanta, Georgia. So you stretch it out over a month and a half and build towards that as opposed to just giving us Reigns and Woods now. Now you have Jimmy versus Woods, Reigns versus Woods, Reigns versus Big E. And my presumption is after that the storyline's over? Yeah, maybe. I, I I'm not gonna. This is kind of what we started talking about like a month ago, which was if WWE is giving us something that is good, I'm not gonna complain about it too much and just assume that whatever is gonna be after is bad. Like you know when they made Biggie champion, when when they had a bunch of stuff going on. Like yeah, Biggie should have gotten a bigger moment, but like we still we got a cool thing, and and so there's many times we don't. So if they're gonna give us you know, Big E doing these feuds before Survivor Series or having these matches now. If we're going to have Roman versus Xavier Woods now, like, I'm not going to be too upset about it because they're giving us something. So I don't know what comes next, and I don't want to have to always just think about what's next and have that impact how I'm enjoying the present. So I'm just going to say I'm looking forward to this, and I am curious where it goes, and, and that's a good thing. Sure. I don't disagree with anything you said, but at the same time, I don't I don't feel like and I'm not necessarily saying that you were saying I'm negative, but I don't feel like I'm not being negative when I'm simply saying, look, 
we're here to talk about not just what's happening, but what's going to happen, right? So I like the booking. I could love it. You know, like like there's there's that mm-hmm. extra, there, there's that next step it can go to take something that WWE is doing positive and make it great. We always talk all the time about, hey, you know, they're not really adding fans, right? They're not really making big splashes. Well, the stuff WWE used to do that accomplished those things was longer term storytelling. And I'm not saying that simply by making a three-week New Day Bloodline feud into a three-month or two-month New Day Bloodline feud, that suddenly the ratings are going to go up and money is going to fall from the sky and WWE is going to stop releasing people. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying is they have the opportunity to give us a better product. And they've taken steps towards doing that in these feuds, in these storylines. But they're just not going that extra step that could actually make it awesome. And and I think it's worth pointing that out. That's all. Sure. I, I just think that like, you know, you think back to the Attitude Era, you know, we got Triple H Stone Cold main events on Raw or Undertaker Rock and stuff like that. And we didn't be like, we did. oh, why don't they, why don't they save it for this or that? Like they're just week to week. They just wanted to give you something good. And if WWE is going to try to do that, I, I, I'm all for it. It hasn't been consistent, but you know, they did it a couple, you know, they did it leading into Crown Jewel and then kind of stopped for a couple of weeks. But if they're going to do this now leading in Survivor Series, I'm generally cool with it. You're not wrong. And I'm not saying to be negative. I just don't, I just don't want to, I just don't want the, curiosity about the future to just take too much away from enjoying. The no, that's fair. There, there are two things I will say though. Back then, here's the difference. They were one brand across two shows. Okay. So they had, didn't have as limited of a roster. Well, when, when at first they didn't have two shows, but yes. Well, okay, sure. Right. Fine. One and then two, but they were also in competition with Nitro. So they needed to put huge main events on every week. And I know they're in competition with Monday night football now. So they're still trying to build really exciting shows. Don't get me wrong, but they have that ability to stretch things out. And given the fact that they are releasing talent, they keep releasing talent. They've released 70 wrestlers in this year alone. The rosters are thin. The Raw and SmackDown rosters right now are legitimately thin. And WWE, maybe it's changing because we see the Chad Gables and the Ricochets and certain other people, Liv Morgan, we'll talk about her in a moment, moving, moving, getting elevated slightly, right? So maybe things are changing a little bit, but WWE has a propensity to only feature certain people in the main event. And when that's your mindset, and then you also rush storylines, that leads to rematches upon rematches upon rematches, and that alienates your fans. So there's two ways you can stop rematches upon rematches. One, dragging stories out, and two, utilizing different personnel. They don't do either of those things. If they did, then yeah, you do not need a massive roster because you are doing those things, but they're not. That's what it all comes down to. That's what I'm talking about. Clearly on SmackDown, for example, they are delaying the inevitable, which is Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, again, whether that's at Royal Rumble, whether that's most likely at WrestleMania, they know they're getting back to it. So in the meantime, it's who do we have that we can use in the main event scene over these next four months, five months? And I think Xavier Woods, is someone that could totally be in that spot with his match coming in January, January 1st. Instead, it's happening literally next week, this week. That's what I'm saying. Yep. That's all I'm saying. Yep. Okay. Yeah. We got a lot more show left. Plenty still to talk about. Let's move out of the main event. And before, though, we get to the good, the bad, and the ugly, I want to talk about Survivor Series because technically, I guess, 
WWE started the build for Survivor Series this week, but they didn't just start it on Raw. They started it Saturday afternoon when they announced the Survivor Series teams person by person on Twitter. They didn't hold qualifying matches, announce them on television, do a special YouTube show maybe uh, on Saturday where they promoted it over the course of a week and said, hey, we're going to reveal the teams midday. They just announced them. There, there was that reporter. I forgot uh, what it was, Chris, like a story a year and a half ago. It's like, I was working on this story for a year and a half. And then they just tweeted it, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. This, the same thing. The same thing here. Like you're anticipating one of the four big pay-per-views, five big pay-per-views of the year. And then they just tweeted it out. So look, I don't get why they didn't pick captains and do it on TV this week or have them select teams across their respective shows with wrestlers petitioning to be on the team. It's so simple to do that. That's not what happened. We just got the teams announced. Let's go over them. The men's team, I'm going to read Wait, it. Real, 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 real quick. I, I want to respond to go for it. that setup. Go for it, yeah. That was insanely stupid. I didn't even know what was going on. I was at the Army Air Force football game. We're watching college football all day on Saturday. You're just announcing the teams on a Saturday on Twitter? What the hell are you doing? Right. How do you, like, you made this, making the teams is a natural story. It was an entire story going into last year's event. That's the whole point of Survivor Series is these days is figuring out who's on the team and who wins their way on. Like, what? We're just announcing them and then retroactively creating a story out of it? You didn't even tell us you were, unless I missed something, they didn't didn't even tell us they were going to announce it. It just came out of nowhere. Like, holy crap, this could not have been prepared, presented any, literally any worse. I, I am, I was blown away that they did that. I didn't know what the heck was going on. I, I, I thought it was, I, did, I just, I did not know what was going on. Found out that, yeah, those are legit teams and like, what the world, what in the world? Who, that is absolute nonsense. Completely devalues the whole idea of the team and the whole idea of Survivor Series. Terrible, terrible, terrible. No, not a great idea here, Vince. All right, we'll talk about the men's match. Uh, I'm going to go over it as it was announced, and then we'll talk about what happened on Raw. Same thing with the women. So for the men, we have SmackDown, Drew McIntyre, Jeff Hardy, King Woods, Sami Zayn, and Happy Corbin. On Raw, Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Rey Mysterio, and Dominic Mysterio. My notes when I saw these were first, all five Raw team members and eight of the 10 overall we're on the opposite brand three weeks ago before the draft. So Team Raw would have been Team SmackDown two weeks ago. And other than that, though, the teams are solid. Don't get me wrong. It's mostly the right names. I would have done Ricochet or Cesaro instead of Happy Corbin and anyone instead of Dominic. So first blush, I want to know just what you think about that. Then we'll talk about what happened on Raw. Um. Yes, my first thought was, oh, these are a lot of cool dudes. It would have been really fun to do the story of putting this together. <laughs> that was my first reaction when I saw the teams. And okay. then, yeah, Dominic yeah. was weird and Corbin was weird. But, I mean, it's, yeah. It, 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 my first thought was just like, why? In both, I, I in both like cases. The reasoning. In both cases, when they were announcing the teams, I was like, okay, okay. Like, I'm getting excited. One, two, three, yeah. four. And then five on both was a total letdown. It was just ridiculous the way they did it. But so there was a storyline made out of that on Raw, as you said, retroactively, which is ridiculous. But the Mysterios were in the ring with Adam Pierce, completely unprompted. We didn't know beforehand this was going to happen. 
And Pierce went over the importance of Survivor Series. He said Team Raw has a lot to live up to from last year's performance where it dominated. And every member of Team Raw was a former champion except Dominic. Pierce said Dominic could keep his spot as long as he held off his opponent in a qualifying match, which was Bobby Lashley. So that was the return of Lashley from getting his ass kicked by Goldberg and Sunberg. So we had Dominic versus Lashley. Dominic got a little bit of offense, but Lashley caught him flying twice. He did the helicopter into the ring post, hit the Dominator, and was set to win with the Hurt Lock when he released it. Ray tried to save Dom, but Lashley took him out, hit the helicopter again, killed him with a spear. On commentary, they said one of the best spears ever. I don't know about that, but it was one of the best spears in a long time. It was awesome. He flew across the ring. And then he won with the Hurt Lock. So Lashley is now in the fifth spot on Raw. That made no sense going to Dominic initially, but now makes a ton of sense that all five of these guys are former champions. I just wish that WWE Chris had booked this as a qualifying match from the get-go, as opposed to this weird retroactive one-off, as you said. First off, why does Adam Pearce care that Raw was swept last week. He runs both shows. That that was weird. Also, who, again, who made the teams? Was it Pierce and DeVille? And if that was the case, right. why did Pierce do that and then take it away from him? Again, this just goes back to making zero sense in real life about how this happened and why. So I couldn't get off that. Second, Lashley's, you know, return or whatever, you want to talk about the crowd? Got zero reaction. But this, like, this crowd was terrible, dude. It was so nothing. Bad. Literally nothing. It was great to see MVP back. The beatdown was nice. I just didn't understand why the hell any of this was happening. Yeah. Look, so I like the idea, and I think this is what they're going for, of a Bobby Lashley versus Rey Mysterio feud coming out of Survivor Series. It makes a lot of sense for them to do that, given what he did to Dominic. That's something that could work for a month without a title. You had Ray call out Pierce in the training room later in the show for being unfair and getting Dominic injured. Austin, Austin Theory snuck in for a selfie with no one noticing. But you mentioned Pierce. Why does Pierce care about Raw? Why is Adam Pierce suddenly being booked as a heel? He, yeah. Given his treatment of Lesnar and Dominic, look, he was technically right in both situations, right? Like he had to, in kayfabe, find Brock Lesnar and suspend him yes. given he attacked people. And yes, Dominic had no reason to be on this team. He really should have been replaced. And, and Pierce did the right thing in kayfabe by taking the strongest other person in the locker room and ensuring that they had an opportunity to be on the team. But what worked so well about Adam Pierce is he was straight down the middle and fair. And they, they've set him up now in these two situations to be booed. When you already have Sonya Deville being the heel authority figure to counter Pierce's face slash fairness. So that whole dynamic is strange. And I look, I guess I like the idea of Lashley being in this match, but it just seems, it seems unimportant. They made Survivor Series already wasn't that important. And given the timing this year with the draft and Crown Jewel and everything that they were doing, it was already less important. But then the way they announced the teams made it even less important yeah. than it already was. Yep. Yep, exactly. And actually, a um, couple other things I wrote down. Ray, that, that fumble, or the, the, the promo he had while he was 
you know, while Dominic was getting checked on, he kind of fumbled his words a little bit. He trying did. to like think of the right words to say. But you know what? That made it better. That made it that made it sound like he was really talking. Like he was trying to come up with the words to describe how he was feeling. Like he was he should be distraught that his son just got beat up. And I, I just I, it just it stuck out because it's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm watching a WWE person sound like a real person right now because he's trying to figure out the words to say because he's upset about what just happened. So, like, I hope he didn't get, you know, I, I, he's Rey Mysterio, so I'm sure he's fine. But just like I was like, that jumped out to me as like actually a really solid promo because it really came across to me that he was upset about it. So that just kind of goes back to the whole, you know, scripted, unscripted bullet points, whatever you want to say with the promo. Um it was like a little thing, but it like actually kind of made a big difference. To me. It did remind me of something very specific, though. I'm here to stay, make, make a, make a, a, a good, good lucha, lucha thing. Good. <laughs> <laughs> but again, like again, that sounded like obviously the end was a little weird, but like no, that's one of the worst promos in WWE history. I, I know, but just like oh, like he kind of just. You know, it literally ruined uh, Kalisto's career. He was employed after that yeah. for a while, but he yeah. never I mean, he like spoke one time on the mic after that over the rest of his career. Yeah. Uh, ridiculous. OK, so on the keeping with Survivor Series, let's move over to the women. Smackdown, Sasha Banks, Shayna Baszler, Shotzi, Natalia and Aaliyah, Raw, Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, Liv Morgan, Carmella and Queen Zelina. So notes here, four of the five Raw team members were on Smackdown before the WWE draft. So nine of 10 people representing Raw were on SmackDown two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Uh, These teams are good too, but let me just make something very clear. There is no excuse for Carmella and Zelina. One of them, sure, both of them know, over Nikki Ash, who's a women's tag team champion. And it is stupefying, truly stupefying, that Tony freaking Storm cannot get on the SmackDown team over Natalia, who we haven't seen, I don't know how long, and Aaliyah, who's only shown up in backstage segments and hasn't wrestled yet. It was maddening to me. I really hope on SmackDown that Tony Storm gets like a backstage segment similar to the women this week, where she's like, look, why did uh, Lashley get the opportunity to do that to Dominic? I want Aaliyah. I want to fight for a spot on this team. Like, give this woman something to do. She is a young, incredible wrestler. She has a great look. She can cut promos. Why are you not using Tony Storm? It makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, again, just like, at least give us a reason for any of this. And seeing the same people, the same women featured again, for the most part, Yeah. Um, was, uh, other than Aaliyah, I guess, and Shotzi kind of, but just, why is Aaliyah there and Tony Storm is not? I don't know. Tony Storm's been on TV, I swear, like three times since she got called. Three out. times and it's she's insane. done nothing. She had one match. In, I think she insane. I think she had one match she lost. And yep, then Natalia, two backstage segments that amounted to zero. One of them was a Dolph Ziggler segment. So right. Yeah. And one was her like looking at someone else or talking to someone. It was pitiful. insane. Uh, Mike at M-D-S-C-H-A-E-F-F, Shafe, I guess. He said, found it hilarious that they only put Rhea on the team, but not Nikki. Wonderful planning. Exactly our thoughts. So let's talk about what happened on Raw yeah. coming out of this, because there were there was, again, a storyline coming out of the Survivor Series team. Pierce and Sonya Deville were in the Raw women's locker room congratulating the Survivor Series team and saying that they would have a five-way match with the winner being the new number one contender for Becky Lynch's title. Dewdrop ran some 
horrendously scripted lines that made her look like a joke. Dana Brooke was okay, said she paid her dues and deserves respect. Then all of them argued. It was a terrible segment from start to finish. There was, though, a decent confrontation between Bianca Belair and Dewdrop in gorilla position before the match we're about to talk about. The match happened. The five women I just mentioned, Belair, Ripley, Liv, Mella, and Zelina. Forget a million dollars, Chris. Becky Lynch looked like a billion dollars coming out <laughs> before this match. She was wearing like this really flashy type of, uh, is it called a crop top, a tank top, whatever the hell you call it, black pants. She looked like a superstar, like the real definition of the word superstar. There was a brawl outside before the bell. Mella and Zelina teamed up. Becky spent a lot of time on commentary, running down Liv Morgan as being the only woman in the entire match who had accomplished nothing so far in WWE, which is accurate. Zelina hit a nice tornado DDT on Ripley. Belair pressed and threw Zelina outside into the other women. Belair then did an impressive double single arm chokeslam off the ropes on Liv and Zelina simultaneously. Belair put Mella face first into the announce table. She and Ripley countered their finishers. Ripley then booted Belair and hit Riptide, but Liv broke the fall. Liv countered Riptide and hit Oblivion on Ripley, but Zelina broke the fall. Belair hit KOD on Zelina when Dewdrop came in and pulled her leg out, so pulled her out of the ring. Mella tried to take advantage, but Liv caught Mella in a crucifix pinning combination for the win in 16 minutes and 30 seconds. Liv then immediately jumped on the announce table where Becky was standing, got in her face, and there was a really good shot of them staring each other down after the bell, and Becky was the one who stepped down, not Zel- not uh, Liv. The crowd could not have given a shit, but I don't care. I enjoyed the entire thing. There were some sloppy moments, but in general, the ring work was very strong, and the finish was really smart with the result we wanted. Liv being elevated into a spot like this is a positive. You have to allow her the chance to sink or swim. The fact that they gave her a big win to earn the title match is important for building her after I pointed out last week on this show, they had not. They basically told you, hey, Liv, Mel- Liv Morgan, almost called her Liv Mella, Liv Morgan is going to be the next number one contender, but you know we don't know whether we're going to actually give her just a challenge where she says, hey, I want a title shot or whether we're going to make her earn it. What I said last week is Liv has accomplished nothing to be deserving of a number one contendership, even beating Mella in that feud at whatever that pay-per-view was She's lost every match subsequent, every match that came after that. This was a really good first step. Is she already number one contender? Technically, yes. But what I would love to see now going forward is Liv get a couple singles wins, a win over Zelina, a win over Mella, maybe a surprise win even over Ripley or someone like that as she prepares for her eventual match with Becky Lynch. You want to show her going on a run and building herself up to be worthy of this opportunity. I went 3.25 stars and a B. The match was good. It wasn't great. But I am really happy that Liv seems to have some momentum behind her. Yeah, I mean, they always talk about trying to build momentum. Like, you got to actually build some momentum here for for Liv. Going back to this whole thing, I didn't love the whole thing. The the backstage thing was an absolute mess. made, Made everybody look childish. And then, because Adam Pierce is like trying to quiet him down, and they're all just bickering and like, "Holy crap, this is it's a really bad look." Then the match starts out, basically the same thing. Everyone's just kind of rolling around, looking like nothing. I was like, "Is this seriously what Bianca Belair is in the middle of this? Like, what the hell is going on?" But it settled down. 
and became a great match. And they let them wrestle and they gave them time. Like you said, it was 16 minutes. I know it was five people in the match. Yeah, almost but, 17. Yeah. But they gave them the time to do it. Bianca does that awesome double powerbomb spot, which I don't know if you've ever seen a, a woman do that before. So she got to look good. Liv got the win. They 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 set it up last week. They they followed through on it. Um, and 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 that was good. My I, I wrote down something here. It was uh do, do, do. oh yeah. So we had uh um Bianca and Rhea. No, no, it was Bianca yeah. and Rhea faced off. They were the only two off in the ring. They're they're facing off with each other. And Corey is Corey Graves on commentary is just praising Becky Lynch for how amazing she is. And I think the commentary kind of missed that moment of of, of, of like, hey, these remember these these two both won at WrestleMania. These two are obviously the future of the company. And it crowd didn't react at all because of the crowd. Commentary didn't help it either. I thought both Rhea and Bianca kind of deserved a little bit more um shine in that moment. Um, but overall, Liv gets the win. Fine. Now let's build on that with her before she has the title match. Give her some wins to make her look legitimate because that's been the problem with her forever. And she's only gotten to wrestle longer than longer than three minutes, like a couple of times and done well. So like give her, you know, five to seven minute matches without commercial breaks to let us see what she can do. Yeah. Just give us a couple, let her get her clean win over Carmel. You know, next week they're going to do the Carmella match again. Cause Carmella's going to say, you beat me. I want another chance, whatever bullshit they say. I want to see her beat Carmella, not in three minutes, in five or seven minutes. I want a real match between them. I also want to see maybe the next week her beat Zelina. And I want this Becky match to not happen right away. Give it three or four weeks at least, right? It doesn't have to wait until January 1st. Let this build a little bit. Give her an opportunity and give Liv Morgan an opportunity to cut promos like this one that she cut on social media after Raw, did not air on TV. So good, I wanted to play it for you. Hold on. Becky, last week I heard you say that you're watching, that you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting for me to prove myself. (laughs) Well, I just beat four of the most incredible women we have here in WWE. Queen Selena beat her. Two-time Money the Bank winner and SmackDown Women's Champion Carmella beat her. NXT UK Women's Champion, Raw Women's Champion, and now Tag Team Champion Rhea Ripley beat her too. Royal Rumble winner, WrestleMania main eventer, and SmackDown Women's Champion Bianca Belair. I beat her. So what I'm asking is, what more proof do you need, Becky? Because now, I'm coming to beat you. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. I even hit yeah. I even hit my mic stand after that. That's what I'm talking about, Liv. That's the shit I want to hear. You know, that's good. Solid promo from her. So, you know, more of that. Put that on TV. Air that exact promo on TV next week for all I care. Mm-hmm. Give me that stuff. All right. So with that, Chris, we do have a lot left to talk about here on the Getting Over wrestling podcast. Let's try to do it maybe lightning round style with the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
money in them days ain't sunny. We're showing you the good, the bad, the ugly, and this is for the hood. You got to love me. So we had Drew McIntyre versus Ricochet. I mentioned this earlier. We had this on SmackDown. McIntyre issued another open challenge. Ricochet cut a promo saying McIntyre can talk shit, but someday someone's going to smack him in the mouth. Then Ricochet did just that. He literally smacked Drew across the face. The crowd was literally on its feet when he did that. And during his promo, when he was walking to the ring, what does that tell you? First of all, it tells you it was a great crowd, right? It also tells you they care. They care about Drew. They care about Ricochet. So McIntyre threw Ricochet across the ring twice and caught a running Huracarana, backdropping him onto the ring apron. Ricochet caught McIntyre off the top rope with a dropkick and hit a springboard crossbody and standing shooting star press. But McIntyre rolled him through it into a brain buster for a near fall. Ricochet countered an Alabama slam into a near fall. But McIntyre caught him trying a running moonsault off the turnbuckles. He caught him with a claymore as he was flipping, inverted, uh, midair. And he got the win in less than four minutes. It was probably maybe the best Claymore of all time. I mean, top two or three. It was just fantastic. McIntyre then told Ricochet after the match, he showed some balls going after him. Look, I'm going to give this a good because Ricochet had a solid promo and got a featured match with McIntyre. But as I said earlier with Biggie and Chad Gable, the way you really put someone over is not to just give them a match, give them time. These, if these guys had 10 minutes, 12 minutes, they would have put on an absolute banger that would have done wonders for Ricochet. It would have elevated him into that mid-card division that we're talking about. Instead, it just kind of made him moderately respectable. But I will say, this was one of the best sprint-style matches I have seen all year. Even by sprint, you mean like a four-minute match? Yeah, like a four, five, six-minute match. Yeah. But when it's just nonstop action from bell to bell, that's what this was. Yeah, and... I, I think Gable looked a little bit better in his match than Ricochet was allowed to do here. Ricochet was largely just meant to get thrown around and look good while doing it. And he did look good while doing it. But the, and the Claymore at the end was awesome. Yeah, I just I wish it would have gotten, you know, like seven or eight minutes. Like it doesn't need to be 15 minutes. I mean, I'd love that. But just like a little bit more. Um, I don't know if this is new. Maybe I just noticed it. But Cole was calling Ricochet the human joystick. Yes. Don't even know I what that, hear that. Yeah. I don't even know what that means. They called him a video game character. I also don't know what that means. You know, I've always compared Ricochet to basically a Dragon Ball Z character or a, or a superhero. And maybe you can't say Dragon Ball Z character, but like human joystick video game character is a little bit weird. Although they did, you know, like hype him up. You know, he he, he does. He gets the entrance, which still looks pretty good. When it's all dark and he gets the spotlight on him, commentary was excited to see him. That made him feel like a bigger deal. Um, so a, a definitely a good. Um, just again, would like more of it. Right, just a little bit more. Uh, Mustafa Ali watched backstage, saying he and Ricochet have a lot in common. They actually cut to this for like five to ten seconds while the match was live, which I thought was stupid. I never want them to do that again. Yeah. After the match, Ali caught Ricochet backstage and said they're the two most talented guys on SmackDown and should team up. Ricochet called him a whiner, not a winner, and said he treated Mansoor like dirt and it is a jerk. I don't hate that they're going back to Ricochet and Mustafa Ali feuding, as long as it actually develops into something meaningful, hopefully for both of them. So I'm going to give this a conditional good that these two guys are going to be able to work together and put on really good matches. But if you put them in the ring for four minutes, it doesn't mean shit. If you let them go 12, 
even if there's two matches, let's say a rematch or a three match series, if you let them go 10 to 15 minutes each time, then the crowd's going to pop and they're going to start buying into both guys and both of them will be elevated by wrestling each other. If you don't do that, it's going to be a waste of time. So conditional good, but a definite good on the McIntyre ricochet. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm giving it a good also because we didn't have Mustafa Ali telling the crowd that they don't like him because of his name, you know, which we talked about last week. I, right. I don't know if they're going they didn't to go back from to that. it. Or, yeah. They didn't go back to it this week. So that was good. Um, and speaking of what you said by giving two guys time, I mean, think back to the Ricochet John Morrison matches that the first one was so good that mm-hmm. they end up giving us three. And I don't think any of them were in front of a crowd. But you could just imagine if it was what the crowd would have been like. So oh like, yeah, yeah, they should. But on a two-hour smack, on a two-hour SmackDown, when the Roman you know <laughs> opening is already taking up twenty minutes, yeah, there just really isn't that kind of time. So I'm giving it a good because it wasn't bad, but it's just kind of whatever. At least one of those guys should have been on Team SmackDown. I maintain that it's a huge yep. miss that they're not. Uh, back to Raw, we had RK Bro and the Street Profits against AJ Styles, Omas, and Dirty Dogs. Riddle and Randy Orton argued about playing hero versus protecting their titles, with Orton telling the Profits they were on their own dealing with Omas. Riddle got some run in the match. The crowd loved Orton's hot tag. It was one of the few times they popped all night. Orton threw Styles into Omas and Raw went to commercial, just as it looked like Orton and Omas were going to fight for the second straight week. I I don't get why they're doing this. Uh, Omas, when we came back from commercial, took out Montez Ford. Then Angelo Dawkins got his hot tag stopped by Omas. Riddle attacked Omas as Orton yelled not to, and Riddle got crushed. Styles argued with the dogs about being tagged in, so Omas took Robert Roode and threw him into the barricade. Then Dolph Ziggler just crawled on top of Riddle, who was taken out five minutes earlier by Omas, for the win. Orton then RKO'd Ziggler. Orton reminded Riddle after the match he's got to listen to him if he wants them to retain their titles. No matter how hard I tried, and this is so strange, because when you talk about the eight people in this match, Chris, Seven of them, you know I love. And Omas, I've come around to. But no matter how hard I tried, I could not get into this match. I just didn't care. It was slow and boring, despite there being seven great wrestlers and a guy who you got, he's he's an attraction in the match. The only real takeaway was, yeah, there was some character and team development for Riddle and Orton, RK Bro. That was welcome. I could see why fans may like this because it featured a lot of their favorite wrestlers. But I got to say, Maybe in a surprise to me, this was bad. I'm giving it a good, but it was convoluted and I kind of lost track of things a few times, Um, but I still enjoyed it. The ending was a little bit weird, but I like, you know, the Dirty Dogs getting a win. You know, I, I, you know, we're involving a lot of teams here and they've all kind of been feuding with each other. I don't think I don't know if this was a huge step forward, but I don't think it was a step back. Didn't love it, but I'm still going to give it a good. Fair enough. Uh, Naomi versus Shayna Baszler happened on SmackDown. Sonya and Gorilla denied she had a vendetta against Naomi and asked, hey, when's the last time you actually saw Naomi with this kind of fire in her belly? Basically taking credit while simultaneously trying to hold her down. Naomi did an Uso-style splash crossbody for a near fall. Baszler took Naomi out with a gut wrench faceplant outside the ring. There was a really unique Pendulum pedigree move, very similar to MJF's finisher uh, on the ring apron by Naomi. A sunset flip got a near fall. Then Naomi countered a sleeper into a tight pinning combination for the win in five minutes and 30 seconds. Sonya came out and gave some legitimately and purposefully bullshit excuse 
to restart the match. Michael Cole audibly asked on, on Mike, where's Jack Tunney? Which popped me <laughs> massively. Yeah. And yeah. Baszler, yep. and, and then when the bell rang, Baszler immediately put Naomi in the Kirifuda clutch and won in 19 seconds. The only thing wrong with this was the time. We did get about six minutes total here. Half of it happened during a commercial break. So when that happens, just like I said with AEW, AEW will give us a seven, eight minute women's match. If four minutes of it are during a commercial break, it's the exact same thing as doing a three or four minute women's match. Other than the time, there was some decent action. The booking made sense. I'm going to say good by a slim margin. I'm going to go in the complete opposite direction. I'm giving this an ugly. I, I Really? Wow. Okay. I don't know what it is. But Naomi and Shayna have some of the worst chemistry I have ever seen between two wrestlers. This is now two weeks in a row where they don't look like they know what the heck they're doing out there. And they are two very talented wrestlers. And we've seen them do really, really good things. But it just, it feels like they don't know what to do. And there's just these spots where they're just kind of holding each other and doing stuff weird. And last week I chalked it up to, hey, we're everybody's just waiting for um sonia to do to do the cheap quick count and end this and it was just kind of waiting for it to end but she wasn't out there this time this was supposed to be a match and it was a mess i i i don't know what that was then the then the sonia thing like i it was kind of i i I, it really stretched the limits of trying to screw naomi over (laughs) right and so now two weeks in a row now these things these segments have just not hit for me at all and I'm giving this an update. I thought this was gross. I, I don't know what the heck is up with Naomi and Shayna, but just I don't, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know what it just, it felt like You're they not didn't wrong. know what to do with each other. You're it not wrong. so weird. You're not wrong. The wrestling has not been great. I, I was grading more on the overall storyline development than the than the actual match, but. I, I normally do too. Like the actual wrestling is usually not a big deal to me unless it's amazing or really bad. And this was just support, like noticeably really bad. There's there's weird. two issues with them when they're in the ring. The first is that they're trying to do too much in a short window. And that's the problem with having short matches, both for men and women. It's when you say, hey, we want you to do X, Y, and Z, but you got to do it in a minute 30. Well, you know, how how are you going to do that? Like, how are you going to cram all that in, in the natural flow of what should be a sport, a, a contest, a wrestling match, right? That's problem one. Problem two is, and it's weird because... Shayna does this with everyone else, but one of the key tenets to being successful in the ring is creating space for your opponent. So when you know a move is coming, not rushing up to them, which shortens the window so they can hit a super kick or a flip or whatever the hell they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, there's not a lot of space that's being created between Baszler and Naomi when they're in the ring together. I don't know if that's one person's fault, if it's both of their fault. Maybe it's Naomi still legitimately being rusty, given she's barely worked in the last like two years. She's ne- almost never in the ring. I don't know what it is, but you're right. The chemistry between them is just not working. It's very similar to, I'm forgetting who it was that Rhea Ripley fought for a while. Asuka, is that who it was? But yeah, they, maybe. they just couldn't get it right. They just, it, it yeah. wasn't working. And then all of a sudden you see Rhea Ripley with Charlotte and you're like, there she is. Yeah. There's the woman we know that that can wrestle. Sometimes people just aren't good fits together. And this, I think, is one of them. You're right. But I look at Sonia. I mean, I look at Shayna as a henchman in this case. I don't really look at her as like the main character of the feud. To me, the main character of the feud is Sonia Deville and, of course, Naomi. Right. So 
are the main, did, did the stuff between the main characters work? For me, it did. That's why it went good. But you make a really good point, though. The wrestling between them is just not good at all. Uh, we'll keep going here. Uh, Ridge Holland backstage on SmackDown said he wanted to meet his idol, Sheamus. Then he remembered all the great times him and his lads had watching his legendary matches, his being Sheamus, at the pub. He said he learned wrestling from watching Sheamus, which was bad news for everyone else. Pat McAfee, who was with Ridge Holland in NXT, put Holland over afterward. It was obviously a scripted promo. I thought Ridge did well, though. And it seems clear that this is going to be a situation where he tries to get on Sheamus's good side and, of course, turns heel on him, which would create a much-needed main event face in Sheamus for SmackDown and possibly give Ridge Holland a really good first feud. So given the context of all of that, I thought it was good. I don't know. I don't know Ridge Holland from NXT or any of that background, so this is my first real introduction to him. He, he started a little slow and quiet, I think, when he was delivering this, and I didn't fully believe that he believed what he was saying, but it got better as it went on. I liked him talking about Sheamus and McIntyre. For whatever reason, it was just hard to like hear him. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't exactly know why it was. I don't know if the microphone was not close enough to him or something, but um, I, I'm intrigued. Certainly, um, you know, he, he if he's going to be a brawler like those two, I think there's certainly something you can do. So we'll see. I mean, I'll give it a good. It wasn't like bad or anything, but I was just kind of um, conditional. Just kind of got to. Yeah. Conditional, conditional good, good for you. Yeah. Uh, Shotzi backstage, very similar type of situation. She said she was fed up losing out on title opportunities, losing her tag team partner and even losing the support of fans, which was not true. Uh, she was pissed for losing the biggest match of her career to Sasha Banks last week and wasn't going to smile and take it anymore. Shotzi said she'd run over Sasha and anyone else in her way and didn't need a tank to do it. I actually liked this too. It, it was another example of a clearly scripted promo. And Shotzi was also trying really hard to be a heel because she's a baby face in real life. So she's not used to being heel. I do think she'll eventually figure it out. In this case, it felt very manufactured. She also looked like, and I am not here to comment on women's appearances, but it looked like she had a lot more makeup, like eye makeup and stuff than usual, which just for someone who's seen her plenty in NXT, it was a little off-putting in the moment. But again, that's nothing I'm really judging in terms of appearance. I'm going to say good here. It eased my concerns a little bit, but I maintain this. The only reason she's heel is because she's alternative looking. If she didn't have tattoos yeah. on her body and green hair, WWE would not make her a heel. But that's what they're doing. I think it was a good step in that direction. It's not my chosen gimmick or, or uh, storyline booking for her, but I thought she did well enough in the moment. So I will say good here as well. Yeah, it was it was fine. Um, I, I, it was good to get an explanation. Honestly, this might be the first promo she's cut on the main roster. To that degree, yes, really, it was. Yes. I didn't really even know what she sounded like. Because <laughs> again, I didn't watch her in NXT, so... This being kind of the first real introduction to her, um, it worked. It was fine. Kind of another conditional good. wasn't bad. wasn't great, but it was a it was a good first step. Agreed. We had Happy Corbin and Mad Cat Moss against the Viking Raiders. The heels were saying some stupid shit when the Raiders came out saying their show is corny and it sucks. True. Very accurate. Uh, Moss made a dumb joke. The Raiders tore apart the set and WWE cut to commercial without any transition. Then there was a match with some decent back and forth action. Pat McAfee was hysterical on commentary. Eric threw Ivar into Moss. Eric then powerbombed him, but Corbin saved a potential splash. Ivar went to splash them outside and the heels ran away for a countout. 
holy shit, was this ugly. I didn't so yeah. much mind the count out because look, the Raiders are scary dudes in kayfabe and Moss and Corbin are both legitimately cowards. But it ruined, actively ruined what was otherwise a perfectly fine match. As far as the rest, WWE took something legitimately interesting in Corbin being poor. They reached the inevitable conclusion of him getting money again far too soon. And now they've created something that was, they took something that was interesting and created something that's absolutely terrible. In a career of bad gimmicks, this is easily Corbin's worst. I just hate it so much that I have to go ugly for my grade. In reality, it was probably more like bad. But as far as I'm concerned, absolutely, positively ugly. Yes, I'm giving it an ugly. I don't even think Corbin is the bad part of this gimmick. It's the Mad Cat Moss part. Moss is the worst part of the gimmick. Corbin is also bad. Yeah, like, uh, I I don't I don't get it at all. And they there there seemed to be pretty clearly piped in booze. I I think there were a couple of moments where they just came up out of nowhere and then disappeared in an instant. Um, I just. This was so bad. And Corbin, again, just the guy is talented. The guy shows bright moments and he's just put in these terrible situations over and over and over. Ugh. Yeah, ugly. It's really, really bad. Uh, Cesaro and Mansoor fought Los Lotharios. They aired a promo from Los Lotharios during the start of the match. I actually thought it was pretty good. I just didn't like that they did it during the action. But I, Humberto Carrillo, Angel Garza, it was solid. Uh, Cesaro got the hot tag and went on a run. There was a really cool spot where a counter from Humberto Carrillo led to Cesaro accidentally hitting Mansoor and Los Lotharios then hit their wrenched basement dropkick for the win. The finisher even had a name, but it was in Spanish and I missed it, so I don't know what it was. Um, Look, this wasn't bad at all. WWE hit all the tenants I want from a new tag team. Entrance music, check. A tag team name, check. A, A solid finisher with a name, check. Carrillo and Angel Garza being cousins makes them natural, of course, but it seems like WWE is really trying to push both of them. The match was nothing special. It certainly was not bad, so it was a good segment. That's where I'm staying. Yeah, good. It was a good step forward for you. Like you said, if you're going to do a tag team, really do a tag team. And they did. And I know they both lost their last names. I was going to which um, yep. I, I think uh, Biggie and... I think Mustafa Ali commented on on Twitter and Biggie mentioned Cesaro too. So they kind of joined that club. I really don't see the point of it. I makes no really sense. do not think it. I do not think it makes, I think it makes zero difference when it comes to what people think of the characters. That said, they're not giving us Angel and Humberto. They're giving us Los Lotharios. So I'm, I'm certainly a good for all this. Well, you want to know something crazy, dude? So Humberto Carrillo's name, real name, is Umberto Garza Creo. Angel Garza's real name is Umberto Garza Solano. So they're both huh. Umberto Garza. Okay, so they took away like the thing that makes them related. Now, granted, one's Garza <laughs> and one's Creo, right? So it's whatever, but they just took it away. And now they're Umberto and Angel. And like Angel, if it's if, if a person's singular name is going to be Angel, and I know it's on hell. I get it, okay? But uh, right, I was, I was, I was going to say that. I, I was going to say it. I was like, aren't these, nor- is this normally when it's Hispanic, it's it's on hell. Right, it's on okay. hell, but, but it's not. It's Angel here, right? If someone's going to be named Angel, 
Just like if someone's going to be named Damien as a singular name. Now we have Damien Priest, which is two names, but as a singular name, you expect a certain type of character out of that, right? Yes. Um, Umberto, it's a fine thing, but it's like calling someone John. It's like if they <laughs> took John Cena and made him John. <laughs> or Antonio Cesaro, instead of dropping Cesaro, I mean, instead of dropping Antonio, they dropped Cesaro and made him Antonio. This is terrible. These guys are not Otis and Tucker, where at least, like, we didn't like it. It, may, it kind of made sense. Otis as a single name is unique. Angel and Umberto are not. They're just normal names. So please, WWE, pull an Apollo Crews. Realize you're idiots. Give them their last names back. That is bad. The match, the, the, the booking of them, b- building them into a real tag team, that was good. you have anything else to long, add on that? Long live the Langstons in Biggie Langston. Yes, That's Langston. It. Bring Langston back while we're at it. Damn colonizers. All right. Uh, Cigar Man at Chef Aaron 26 he said, so Cesaro goes from having his WrestleMania moment with one of the biggest stars to jobbing to a mid-card team. I've never seen a wrestler of Cesaro's talent that is over with the fans get jobbed the way he does. Vince gives Mahal a WWE championship run when he barely gets a reaction. Carmella, a women's title run when she was horrific in the ring. And Vega, the queen's crown when she lost every match. But God forbid they do something with Cesaro. So, okay. I think to some degree you have a point. Cesaro did though get a WrestleMania moment. He did have a main event pay-per-view match with Roman Reigns. They did elevate him into main event status. But he's also a guy very much like Sheamus, who historically, and, and, and Dolph Ziggler, and there's other people like that in WWE, who can do everything. I don't ever see WWE getting behind Cesaro to make him a world champion. But he is very capable of being a tag team champion, a mid-card champion, and being utilized in better situations. But the other thing Cesaro can do, just like Sheamus and just like Dolph Ziggler, is get people over because he's that good in the ring. And that's what they're using him for here, to help get these guys over. Do I love it? No. Am I as angry at it as you are, Aaron? Also, no. Yep. I mean, I I told you after the Roman match that the fact that he wasn't even on TV, I think, for a couple of weeks. <laughs> right. A pretty clear sign that they were not going to keep this going. I know we got, I think they continued the Rollins feud or something like that. But I I said then, I, I think I said this when we did our draft, which is just, Cesaro's just not that guy for them. And I wish he was, but he's just not. But you know what he is? Like you said, I think he's a tag team champion with like three different people. Like he, 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 he's a really good tag team wrestler. And maybe they'll find something else for him and it'll turn into something again. But, um, yeah, any any hopes of Cesaro being a big single star, um, it's done. It, it, it's over now. Unless he gets a unless he gets a, a Kofi type run or something like that at the end. Um, so you just kind of got to deal with it, and um, it sucks. Let, let me it's book, also not surprising. Let me book the damn territory very quick. Ridge Holland comes Dude. out right heel, turn Sheamus face, Sheamus's face, Cesaro's face. You reunite reunite the bar as a face tag team. Have them beat the Usos for the titles. Done. We're good. Everyone's happy, right? Wait, what does this have to do with Rich Holland? Because Rich Holland is, I mentioned earlier, he could potentially turn Sheamus' face by turning on him. Oh, okay. So you're going to use Holland. Use Rich Holland to turn Sheamus' face. Now he and Cesaro are both faces. You make them the bar. They beat the Usos for the titles. Everyone's happy. I, I would love the bar to come back because Sheamus has kind of been floating around doing nothing either. Um, I, I'd love it. It's ready-made. It's right there sitting there for both of them on SmackDown. 
elevates both of them again. Pops the fans who love the bar. The merch was sick when they had it. Give me the bar. A couple more things before we get out of here. Jeff Hardy was talking to Aaliyah backstage when he was about to be interviewed. Hardy saw Sami Zayn try to get in Aaliyah's head. He walked over as Sami suggested she start wearing pantsuits. They joked about Sami behind his back. Zayn later told Hit Row they have huge potential, but their entrance sucks. So they asked him to show him how to do it. Zayn made his ridiculous entrance and introduced Hit Row. They thought, or he thought they were into it when they instead started dropping bars on him and got a Sammy Sucks chant going. Zayn tried to leave, saying he didn't want to fight when they stood in his way until eventually letting him pass. Both of these were positive. I like that they tried more natural backstage interaction between characters and Zayn giving Hit Row some rub is good, though we do have to see what it develops into. I'm going to say good for all of it. It was really much ado about nothing, but it was better than not, I guess. Yeah, it was kind of nothing. I mean, they did the, you know, the raps on the entrance. It, it kind of made me think of um, uh, Max Caster and them over in AEW. But we know Hit Row can do more uh, as well. So and they're better. Was, <laughs> yeah, right. They are. In so every it way. was just kind of a, it was just kind of a whatever bit. I guess we're kind of reintroduced to Hit Row again now that they lost BFAB, um, which was weird seeing them without her. It sucks. It so was. It I, was weird without her. You're right. I'm, I'm not giving it a bad. Just kind of another one of those good for what it was, but it's like it's not something that changes a feeling on anything. Right. Some look. Some of these are forced grades, but this is the segment. This is the business we've chosen. So that's what we got to do. Twenty four seven. Those are the rules. They're the rules. We cannot change them. You don't know what that quote is from, do you? Which one? This is the business we've chosen. Uh, it sounds familiar. I can't say off the top of my head where it's from. All right. 24-7 championship. Reggie, cha- the champion, defending against Drake Maverick. Reggie did some impressive stuff when Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander stopped an R-Truth attack. Maverick rolled up Reggie for the title win. Tazawa rolled up Maverick for the win. Corey Graves jumped off commentary and rolled up Tazawa for the title. Byron Saxton jumped off commentary and rolled up Graves for the title. Maverick then rolled up Saxton for the title. Reggie caught Maverick in the ring with a standing corkscrew crossbody to win the title back. So there were six title changes in like a minute, minute and a half. I have to say I did pop when Corey Graves and then Byron Saxon both won because first of all, it was unexpected. Second, it was was cool just to see Corey, who's, you know, disqualified from getting physically involved in stuff, get physically involved in stuff. And all this time, all these years, Corey has been shitting on Saxton on commentary. Saxton finally has something over Corey. They've had one match and Saxton beat him. He's 1-0. You saw him do it. He's undefeated. It's a long time coming. So I want to say good. It put a smile on my face. If we're really evaluating it, Benjamin and Alexander being in this was really pathetic and I hated it. I'm going to say good, but only because of the two non-wrestlers who are able to do something that popped. I'm I'm going to give it a good. Um, I like that every time the title changed, the announcer just kept saying it as if it was completely new. I don't know exactly who it was. It's not Greg Hamilton. I think um, it's Mike Rome I now, I believe. Okay, it might be back Mike, back to Mike Rome. But he just would say it like no connection to the previous one that was being said, just clean every time. That was kind of funny. I like the announcers winning it. Like we, we, we've said, you got to make this a really, really goofy thing. I don't like that they're all roll-ups like you got to try some different stuff here but overall it's a good except i don't like reggie finishing with it because that makes me feel like the whole thing didn't matter that's how it always goes though right every single time they do it that 
thing. That's how that's how the that's how the hardcore title used to be at house shows. Like if you look up the hardcore title on Wikipedia, it's got an incredible lineage of champions. But there'd be like 15 changes on a house show, and the same person would win it at the end. You can do that for a house show. We we don't let somebody else hold it. Like it's 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 fine. We're we're just back where we started. I enjoyed the segment for what it was, but it doesn't make me any more interested. In we the can't we can't go crazy about the twenty four seven title. It just we know it sucks. Like no, so, it's like no. I'm, I'm just I'm talking about it because they actually did something we wanted know, them to do. I know, but, but then they at the end go back to what it was. That they did that with our truth every single time. They just did. Yes. Also, the missed yeah. wait one thing. The missed opportunity here. I love Saxon and Graves. Don't get me wrong. The missed opportunity is Jimmy Smith is an MMA guy. It would have been awesome if like Saxton had got the win and he was celebrating and Jimmy took him down, put him in like an ankle lock or a knee bar yeah. and tapped him out. And then all three guys won it. That would have been really super cool, but it's fine. Also, uh, when the when the 24 seven people came out uh, from backstage, our truth was holding the hand of the referee. Yes, that was funny, too. Just, yeah. little, just a little thing I caught that was actually funny. Yeah, I thought that was funny as well. And then lastly, this is nothing to judge, but there was another vignette for Zia Lee on SmackDown. And it said that she's coming soon. So we're still anticipating that. Uh, one thing, since you did mention, uh, before we get out of here, we have not talked about it on uh, this show. Greg Hamilton was released by WWE, the longtime um, ring announcer. I got to say, I know people, some people are fond of Lillian Garcia, all these other people that WWE's had. To me, Greg Hamilton is the best ring announcer WWE's had since Howard Finkel. And I know that is a long time and to some that may seem like a stretch. To me, that is how good he was at his job. Um, the circumstances surrounding him being fired, they're murky. We don't know exactly what it was. We do know that he threatened to sue someone, I believe a rapper, for using his voice in a song or a social media video or something like that. And he threatened WWE is going to sue you and all this type of shit. And there were some other rumors about his personal life, things that were going on. And ultimately he got released. Whether those two things had a direct impact or did not have a direct impact on that, I don't know the answer to it. The only thing I can judge is the guy that I saw on television. The guy I saw on television was really talented. He was, like I said, my favorite ring guy, ring announcer since Howard Finkel. It sucks that he's no longer with WWE. Hopefully he's okay. He lands on his feet doing something else. Yeah, I really enjoyed him too. Who was that other announcer that they had during the Attitude Era opposite Finkel? Lillian Garcia. He came back one. No, 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 no. There was another, it was another, it was another man. He came back a couple years back and just randomly did a. I, he did a. Uh, uh, he announced the SmackDown or something in, in Anaheim, I think it was, just out of nowhere. It was like, oh, that voice sounds familiar. I don't remember what his name hmm. was. But I don't know. If, if you can't while I'm talking, look up Attitude Era Ring Announcers or something like that. Um, but I, I, again, with Greg Hamilton, I don't know personalized stuff. I don't know. I saw the messages and comments he was posting on social media to the rapper about use, you know sampling his voice. And like, dude, just oh, like Tony Chimmel, like Tony Chimmel. Tony yeah, Chimmel was him. great. I don't. OK, yes. maybe since Chimmel. Chimmel was great. I don't want yeah. I don't want yes. to downgrade. Yes, him. yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, but with Greg Hamilton, it's like, dude, just like log off. I, I don't, He was just going crazy on social media. Yeah. Upset about things. Just like, dude, what are you doing? I, it was weird. And he said he threatened to use WWE's lawyers to sue him. I, I, I don't know. But just like seeing him just like freak out on social media was weird. And it's always just kind of a reminder of like, you know, people got to calm down on there and, you know, don't throw stuff, you know, don't throw your career away because you can't stop posting, you know? So. Yeah. No, but it, Tony Schimmel, Tony Schimmel was there for, 
um, like 19 years. He, he was there for a long time. Yeah. And he was yeah. really good as well. Hamilton was is in the Schimmel realm. You, there's a, sure. there's that second tier. You obviously have Howard yeah. Finkel who stands on his own. He, Hamilton is in the second tier with Schimmel, with Justin Roberts. He's in that group. Mm-hmm. And really, he's by far the best one WWE currently had. No offense to Mike yeah. Rome, no offense to anyone else who's currently doing the job. Um, but yeah, Chris, that's our show. A uh, lot to talk about from WWE this week. You know, with the Survivor Series announcement, the show went a little longer than we expected. Hey, that stuff is bound to happen. As far as the rest of the week goes here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, here is what's in store. We will be back on Thursday with a AEW Full Gear Ultimate Preview. We'll also talk about this week's NXT episode. And then on Saturday, as soon as AEW Full Gear goes off the air, we will have an instant analysis podcast right here for you on Getting Over. Chris and I were still determining the timing Um, our availability, how we're going to fit all of this into a week that is already very busy with our real jobs. We cannot sacrifice those, of course, for the podcast, but I promise you, you guys will get the professional wrestling audio, the high quality professional wrestling audio that you deserve in your ear holes by the time the week is out. So like I said, ultimate preview for full gear on Thursday, instant analysis on Saturday. And then of course, we will be back the following Tuesday breaking down everything that happened in the world of WWE. So with all of that out of the way, and for Vintage Chris Benini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, reminding you to please don't forget that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting overcast please remember to tune in for the rest of our shows this week i'm gonna leave you with just three final words bye for now